Welcome to Bible News Press. Our goal is to discuss biblical faith beyond cliches and buzzwords, whether such words are religious or political. Sometimes we sit around the table and fellowship. Sometimes we do a little time travel. It is all part of our journey with our Abba Father, who has given us the key to life. We do it with Jesus, and we do it together. Welcome. Hello, I'm Laura. I will be reading the Song of Solomon, Chapter 1, from the World English Bible. The Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is better than wine. Your oils have a pleasing fragrance. Your name is oil poured out, therefore the virgins love you. Take me away with you. Let's hurry. The king has brought me into his rooms. We will be glad and rejoice in you. We will praise your love more than wine. They are right to love you. I am dark but lovely, you daughters of Jerusalem, like Kadar's tents, like Solomon's curtains. Don't stare at me because I am dark, because the sun has scorched me. My mother's sons were angry with me. They made me keeper of the vineyards. I haven't kept my own vineyard. Tell me, you whom my soul loves, where you graze your flock, where you rest them at noon, for why should I be as one who is veiled beside the flocks of your companions? If you don't know, most beautiful among women, follow the tracks of the sheep, graze your young goats beside the shepherd's tents. I have compared you, my love, to a steed in Pharaoh's chariots. Your cheeks are beautiful with earrings, your neck with strings of jewels. We will make you earrings of gold with studs of silver. While the king sat at his table, my perfume spread its fragrance. My beloved is to me a sachet of myrrh that lies between my breasts. My beloved is to me a cluster of henna blossoms from the vineyards of Engedi. Behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. Your eyes are like doves. Behold, you are beautiful, my beloved. Yes, pleasant, and our couch is verdant. The beams of our house are cedars, our rafters are firs. That is the end of chapter one. I read the whole book, The Song of Songs or The Song of Solomon. It's titled differently in different translations. I read it through twice this week, and I have read it a number of times in the past. And I also looked over various commentaries, a handful of them, some of which I will mention specifically along the way here. And I did all of this before recording this first chapter because I wanted to get the best sense I could of it to read it well. Let me list what we can state with confidence about this book. One, it is Solomon's. It is written by him. Two, it is well established as scripture to be included in the Old Testament. I will link to an Answers in Genesis article by Brian Edwards that explains this well. Three, it was inspired by the Holy Spirit. This would be in particular per 2 Timothy 3, verses 15 through 16, 2 Peter 1, verse 21, and Matthew eleven thirteen help you to tie that idea together. Four, the style is drama via poetry with alternating first-person perspectives. Five, the people specifically spoken to are the daughters of Jerusalem, the loved woman, possibly the Shulamite referred to in 6.3, 
and the loved man, apparently King Solomon, as referenced in 3, 7, 9, and 11, and 8, 12. Six, this list is similar to those who speak, but it also includes the loved woman's brothers, some friendly onlookers or well-wishers that some people designate as the daughters of Jerusalem due to them being specified in chapter 1, verse 5. And seven, the language is very intimate. Here are some things that are less clear. It is less clear exactly when this was written. Since Solomon is referred to as king, it was sometime during his reign, but we don't know exactly when, and we'll probably discuss that more later. It's less clear exactly who the woman is. If the description of Shulamite is describing the woman who is beloved, which seems to be the case, and if it is literal, that she is literally from this place, that could just be what it means, but it could also be a play on the meaning of the word Shulamite, which Hitchcock's Bible Names Dictionary says means peaceable, perfect, that which recompenses or to make amends. My take is that these are not the main point of the book. That's why they're not made clear. And to know them would possibly distract from its main message. So what is its message? Here's what stands out to me. This is obviously an example of pure devoted love. It has elements of being both fully aware of the delight of such love, but waiting for its fulfillment with some trouble and discouragement along the way. Also, there are many things that make the presentation coincide with the representation of the church as the bride and Christ as the king bridegroom. For example, in chapter 5, verse 7, the woman is beaten while looking for her beloved. Also, gold, frankincense, and myrrh are mentioned a number of times. And in chapter 3, verse 6, there is the description of the king coming as pillars of smoke from the wilderness. Throughout the Old Testament, Yahweh presents himself as a husband. Also, in Paul, in Ephesians 5.32, emphasizes this spiritual analogy of marriage as Christ and the church. In Matthew 22, Jesus gives the parable of the wedding feast. The relationship of those who answer Yahweh's call or invitation with faith is likened to the most intimate human relationship, that of a committed marriage between a man and a woman. I think this is why Satan has done so much to deceive people into distorting this relationship, whether it be by treating it flippantly or grossly distorting it. Anything that weakens or destroys the relationship as God designed it is not only in direct opposition to the good gift he created for us, but it cannot be a good gift unless it is used in his good ways, and it also ruins the beautiful picture that God created for us to help us understand the nature of his love for those who seek him. The ploys of Satan and the rebellion of mankind take what is supposed to be a precious and uniquely gratifying relationship and make it not only seem worthless but often dirty and vile. This distortion too often also distracts Christians from the proper view of intimacy in marriage and with our God, who in his perfect representation of love as both father and husband, not in the perversion of the world, but in that the family is a multifaceted example for us, has, has tried to show us what relationship with him is like. If he can create such wonderful potential for us in the relationships among ourselves, 
How incredibly wonderful will the fulfillment of our relationship with him be when he returns? By definition, it has to be better than anything we have in this fallen world. I am reminded of C.S. Lewis's comparison of trying to explain sexual pleasure to a young boy who thinks eating chocolate is the best joy on earth. When any description the boy can comprehend is offered to him, all the boy can think to ask is, yes, but is chocolate there? That is possibly a glimpse of the scale of difference between earthly pleasures as they are limited in this fallen world and the heavenly pleasures of being with the one, the God, who loves us as a devoted bridegroom. Any of the people of Israel who paid any attention at all to the prophecies depicting Israel as a wayward wife would be aware of the contrast between that and a loving marriage when they read this, when when they read the Song of Songs. The Song of Songs depicts one man and one woman. I'll talk about the reference in chapter 6 to multiple queens and concubines later. But the Song of Songs depicts one man and one woman absolutely in love with each other. This is also properly filling out the Old Testament portrait of God's character. He who can design such love, who uses such love and intimacy as imagery for his love, helps us understand not only his goodness, but the validity of his jealousy. Some of the imagery, though, is not things that we in our current culture are likely to use to call a woman beautiful, but it is easily enough understood in context. I may try to dig into deeper connotations along the way. However, the song begins with kissing, lots of kissing right from the beginning. That is certainly cross-cultural. Basically, the woman doesn't waste any time getting to the point of how much she desires her loved one, the king. Isn't it interesting that it begins with the woman speaking? But even that, in that case, she is responding to him looking forward to interacting and reacting to his love. In verse 4, it even says she's in a hurry. And this reminded me of Revelations 22.20, where Jesus says he's coming quickly, and John says, Amen. The commentary I found most helpful of the few I looked at was Matthew Henry's. You can find that on the blueletterbible.org to read for free. It's pretty long, so I just want to highlight a few points. In this book, God is not directly mentioned. This book is not quoted in the New Testament. This book tends to be more intelligible to those who have experience walking with God. The simultaneous allegory of shepherd and shepherdess represent humility and innocence. There is nothing complacent in this relationship. There is mutual esteem and endearment. And It is the song of songs that implies it is the highest, the best song. So getting back to just evaluating the rest of chapter one, the part in verse five about her being dark is not about inherited skin color, but about suffering from long exposure to the sun, which has scorched her. She recognizes that she is still lovely and implies lovely in her beloved's eyes. So blackness is relative here. For her, it indicates harm. The phrase in verse 6, I haven't kept my own vineyard, seems cryptic from my limited understanding, but keep it in mind, a counterpoint will come up near the end of the book. Note, many translations insert who is speaking 
as inferred. However, they are not part of the text, so I didn't read those headlines, so to speak, that show who is reading in the script. Her mother's sons or family, depending on the translation, come up a couple of times. Their anger is curious. You can at least say she has no advantages, no one presenting her as a family would be expected to. Instead, they are angry, and later we will see that they insult her. Regardless, she is intent on searching for her love, the one whom she knows also loves her. Verses 10 and 11 have the friends responding by giving the woman earrings to adorn herself, as her lover has just mentioned. And one of the many, it is one of the many places in the Bible where jewelry on a bride or a woman is spoken of as a blessing and enhancing her beauty. And we have our first mention of gold in this relationship. And moving right on to verse 13, we have myrrh, which biblically is part of the temple incense and one of the gifts of the Magi to baby Jesus. The fact that it is here between her breasts is referring to just how dearly close she esteems the person she loves. It is both a physical and a spiritual intimacy. I looked at verse 14 in particular translations because I saw that Matthew Henry talked about a cluster of camphor, and then he went on to say that this is a word that could also be translated to one that signifies atonement. And then we have one of the first references to your eyes are like doves, and that line makes me think of fluttering eyelids, but I don't think that's what they have in mind. Instead, I think it's interesting that the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus as in the likeness of a dove when he was baptized, as it relates in Matthew 3.16. Matthew Henry extends this idea to suggest that it represents the church being filled with the Holy Spirit. The versions that I showed that showed the speaker all divided after verse 15 to say the woman is speaking next. It makes me wonder if there is something in the Hebrew text that indicates this. But verse 16 says, our bed is green or verdant. And verse 17 says, our houses are cedar. The picture I get is of a vibrant, strong relationship, full of life, both at its core and what it produces. Matthew Henry says that this also emphasizes the way that a husband and wife are joint heirs in Christ, as is mentioned in 1 Peter 3.7. And then lastly, cedar that is mentioned here was prominent in the building of the temple, as you can see by looking at 1 Kings 6. And that was the chapter break. That's all for today. Thanks for listening. That is the Bible News Press segment for today, but not the end of our journey. 